Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. ESG Energized audience, we are once again very privileged to be set up here at the Operational Excellence Conference at the Norris Center in Houston, Texas. And this is my second time doing this event. I love this event. I'm excited for it. And joining me here right now to kick us off is Eddie Boyle, who is the event director for Oil and Gas IQ. Eddie, welcome to ESG Energized and tell us about this incredible event. Thanks, Delfina. Yep. Um, we've got a brilliant few days ahead of us. So this is the 14th edition. Of oh my gosh, 14 years we've been doing this? 14, yeah. It's quite scary, really, isn't really? it? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we've got we've got a crazy few days ahead of us. We've got workshops, we've got you know keynote presentations, panel discussions, we've got a casino evening, oh my. we've got a site tour. So busy few days, but we're bringing together some of North America's leading energy companies to talk about how they're driving operational excellence and transformation. And it's very exciting. So looking forward to what they have to say and see what they are doing. So I looked at the roster of speakers, very impressive. We also, I also looked at the exhibitors that are here, the sponsors, the exhibitors. We've got a lot of innovative companies that have come to attend this event. And if it's anything like last year, I am looking forward to some really open the kimono type conversations where people are really sharing not only their successes, but their failures so that together they can figure out more innovative and effective ways to move forward. 100%. Couldn't couldn't say it better. uh, I love it. Thank you so much for putting this on. We're excited for the show and let's get this thing kicked off. Big pleasure. Thanks. Alex White, the Director of Industrial Solutions for Otterbox, Otterbox, sorry, Otterbox. Everybody knows Otterbox, Alex. It's like, why can't I pronounce it? That's okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a long word, I know. Otterbox. Everybody knows Otterbox. Alex is joining us here on the show uh, here at the Operational Excellence Conference. Alex, how's, how's it been so far for you? Oh, it's been wonderful. Uh, we've, we've worked with IQPC in the past at other events and um, earlier this year at Connected Worker, and we're invited to come and speak oh. here uh, at this event today. And so it's it's been a delight and, and, and um, just to share our journey and, and how we look at the Connected Worker and some of the, the tough problems that we're working with companies to solve in the industry to enable the front line. Well, let's do this. I am very familiar with Otterbox, but maybe there are some of my listeners that aren't. So let's start with first who is Otterbox? Sure, absolutely. No, I'd be happy to. So Otterbox is uh, is a family-owned company. Uh, we started, we were founded over 25 years ago, uh, and we started making products to protect the world's mobile devices. We were born in our founder's garage uh, where he created the first product that was uh, built to solve a simple problem. And, and then from there, we started building solutions for our very first product was a solution for a customer that wanted to have that, that dry box adapted to... Uh, a smartphone that they were using so they could use their product inside the case. 
And it's interesting because that, that product has DNA and roots that, that, are, that you see in the connected worker solutions that are certified for hazardous locations that, that we were here to talk about today. So you gave a talk? Yes, I did. I'm sorry I missed it. That's okay. So appreciate it. if you would just give us a quick recap, yeah. what, what were you guys talking about? Yeah, so we, uh, we have launched um, products in, uh, that, are, that are certified for hazardous locations. This was a journey that we've been on now for a couple of years where, where the market came to us to, and, and said, uh, you know, as, uh, as workforces are changing and, and workers in the front line are becoming connected and you've got digital natives that come in the environment, having connected devices is more important than ever. Right to help with the workplace, the workflow, and and the matter and the material that, that people have, and uh, but you can't just take an iPhone or an iPad into these these locations. They're not rated for it. Right. And so uh, that gave us a very unique problem to solve, uh, and and so we went on a journey where we started to work with customers, understand the engineering requirements, uh, the industry regulations around products, and. Uh, where uh, we've, we've launched the first UL solutions approved products for iPhone and iPad. And so we talked about those today and we also shared a use case of, of one of our customers that has done a large deployment and how that tool has transformed the front line for her business uh, and the bottom line while promoting safety of the frontline worker. Give us a little bit more on that. I'm sure my listeners want to hear that since they didn't get to come to the, uh, to the conference. Sure, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, this, uh, the, the journey that we had with, with this partner was as they were looking for mobile solutions over the last seven or eight years, they couldn't find anything that really met their engineering standards. And, and, uh, and UL is, is, is a trusted third-party recognized lab that, yeah. uh, that, that approves solutions for products that you and I use every single day, but also for hazardous locations. And so uh, we were able to work together with them through this journey to certify um, one of our cases and also design a new one from the ground up that meets not only the North American certifications for classes one, two, and three for division two, but also for ATEX and IECEX worldwide. And so we have two series of products that the companies can utilize with their connected workers for iPhones and iPads. Fantastic. So do you have anything set up here at your booth for people to see and touch and feel? And Yes, absolutely. So we, we have uh, all of the products that are available that are rated. We also have some that are non-rated that we make for uh, for the manufacturing environment that people might need for, for their products. Uh, but for the, uh, the connected, the, the certified products that we have for connected workers, uh, so our North American products that we have here today are for the iPhone 13 uh, and our iPhone 14 project is, is launching right now. And then we also showed uh, an iPad uh, mini 6th gen and iPad 10th gen product that we have for the US and Canada that's, that are certified by, by UL. We also talked about our Hardline series. Hardline is the world's first globally certified product by UL Solutions for not only the North American, uh, for by UL Solutions for class and division system, but also for ATEX and IECX for zone two and 22 for rest of world. Alex, it's amazing to me how the world has changed so dramatically from when I was working in harsh environments to, to today, which was a thousand years ago, right? Thank you so much for joining us on the show, for sharing this information. I'm sure my younger listeners are going to be, their ears are going to be perked up too. I've got a lot of university students that listen to this show as well. They're going to be like, oh, good. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to be able to continue to use the devices that, that make my life possible the way it is as I go out into the workforce. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting problem that I think industry is facing right now is that, you know, you have workers that have been trained on the job, 
that grew up and have been doing that role for decades. And you now you have this digital native that's yeah. coming into the environment. And so they learn differently. And and you have this this great transfer of knowledge and skill set that's that's on the workforce that mobile devices are the cornerstone of how they learn, how they consume, and how they operate. And and how cool is it that you could go to work and you could have the thing that you use in your personal life that you rely on each and every day. You could have it while you're doing hard work in these these certified or classified environments where you need regulated products. And so that user adoption is so key for companies that you can go out and mandate the tech, but if the user can't adopt it and can't understand it, it's going to sit in the drawer. And so that's why we're very excited to, to, to bring these solutions to market to, um, uh, to help the next generation of of productivity and, and production in the workforce. You know, we could probably do an entire show about this. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so I'm going to invite you back. I'm going to have to invite you back, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. John Mortensen, the Chief Technology Officer, the Global Chief Technology Officer for EAM, for IFS. So EAM, again, what is EAM, John? Enterprise Asset Management. So Global Chief Technology Officer, Enterprise Asset Management for IFS. Tell us about IFS. IFS is a cloud platform provider for EAM, ERP, and field service management. We have a composable technology, which covers a broad range of SINs. It takes us from project management, through enterprise asset management, through supply chain management, through field service management, and all the financials associated with ERP on a single platform. Our customers buy our solution based on the components that they require. They do not need to implement them in any particular order. So we enable an end-to-end process for enterprise asset management. We started out about 40 years ago doing maintenance for a nuclear power plant in Norway. And we have grown over the years to move into ERP, the financials. So we now view assets as being core to our business and everything that we do. And that takes us from the building, the construction of those assets, to the commissioning of those assets, to the management of those assets and the maintenance of those assets, through to the retirement of those assets. Recently, we've been investing heavily in adjacent technologies that help us with the asset lifecycle story. So we've been investing in solutions such as asset performance management, which is about the day-to-day operation of those assets and getting the most out of the assets and enables us to move to another level of maintenance, which takes us to condition-based maintenance, which is, which is, by the way, what brings me here. Today I'm here because I was actually presenting a keynote on condition-based maintenance, uh, maximizing um, reliability and availability. Ah, okay. And that's all based on condition-based maintenance, which takes you beyond standard preventative-based maintenance Mm -hmm. to using the information that that asset sends back to help you make decisions about how to maintain it or when to maintain it and to move people to a point where they can start doing uh, preventative, uh, not preventative maintenance, but predictive maintenance and eventually prescriptive maintenance. So being able to give people with artificial intelligence through machine learning, the ability to take the information from those assets and be able to transform it into actions of some type. So we like people to be able to uh, take the information in their assets 
and look at them in comparison to what they're getting from their other assets. Prioritise the work that they need to do, be able to understand what the supply chain implications of the work that they're going to do in the future concerns. I gave some examples about where preventative maintenance failed and I gave some examples uh, where condition maintenance reduced costs in areas of staffing and also in reducing the downtime that those assets had in relation to the amount of money that they were losing from production. So one of the statistics that I talked about uh, this morning was that in the oil and gas industry, you can have up to $500,000 an hour in lost production due to failure. So you want to be able to use the condition of the asset to be able to indicate to you when we're likely to fail so that we can prepare for that failure and have that downtime minimised as much as possible, thereby reducing the impact on that organisation. Makes a lot of sense. So tell me, when I am an asset owner, I'm an asset manager, when do I call you? You should call us probably about three years ago. <laughs> uh, because, because when you go through this, uh, most organisations already have enterprise asset management systems in Absolutely. situ. Absolutely, yes. So one of we the, know it well. So one of the advantages of having these adjacent technologies or edge technologies uh, that we were talking about today uh, is being able to quickly get people up and going with things like condition-based maintenance and predictive maintenance and going on their APM journey and making sure that those building blocks are in place without having to interfere in the first instance with the core data sets that they have in those other technologies that they're already using. When they start using those technologies, they can then start building the integrations into them to be able to uh, initiate actions, whether those actions be events or projects or work orders or just saying we need to monitor something a little bit more closely because we can see that it's having issues, but there's no impact on its availability at the moment and there's no impact on the production. So we can start thinking about when we can schedule work and prioritising that work against something else without interfering with the underlying core technology those businesses are using. And that was the message I was giving today. That's really important. It is really important, but what my long-term thinking is, is that if you have these technologies from us, they're working, and you get to the point where you are looking at your existing systems, you've already got to trust with us. You'll right. think about us when you're looking at replacing your EAM or your ERP system or upgrading it where somebody comes and tells you it's going to cost you $100 million. I won't mention the software package that costs you that much to upgrade, but there's a <laughs> number of them out there. And then you should be seriously thinking about, is it something that I, maybe I should be replacing if I'm going to have to do a re-implementation as I go to the next level for those people anyway? But I want you to have that trust factor with me from our edge technologies to be able to get there. So one of the, the, one of the ways that you build trust is making sure that this, whatever it is that you're providing to me, the asset manager, is a is a user friendliness, so that I know that I'm going to be pleased when I am using what you have provided. How do you ensure that user friendliness? Well, I think of it that user friendliness has got to be coupled up with actually doing what we said it did on the packet. So. I can be, I've got to be able to consume it, I've got to be able to use it, and I've got to be able to see the benefits that I'm deriving from it, and that is where trust comes from. If those processes 
aren't being supported by user friendliness, then you're not going to get them in the end. So I not. the reality is, is that it's got to have a user friendliness to it because I want to be able to see these things. I want to be able to use it easily. If I make it as complicated as or get go, then they're going to go, why did I bother? So <laughs> I, I don't know out. if that answers your question, <laughs> but it, it really is about balancing all these things up. But at the end of the day, my final objective is that I want as little human intervention in the process as possible. I don't want you going to a dashboard and working out you have to do something. I want the system to be able to tell you what you, what you need to do, how we came to the conclusion that we want, it, we want it to be explainable, and then give you something to do and you understanding that. So it's got to be easy. It's got to be simple. Last question. You mentioned... Uh, earlier, I'm not sure if it was just a few minutes ago on the, on this podcast or previously when we were talking. You mentioned having a start in in Norway. What is your global footprint now? Where are you providing services to the market? Right. So we've broken up into to four major regions. Okay. Two of those are in Europe, which probably answers your question in the first instance. Uh -huh. So we've divided Europe into two separate regions. Then we have the Americas. America, in the Americas, we haven't focused on asset management historically. We focused on our ERP capabilities, our project capabilities, our supply chain capabilities, okay. uh, and the servitization of assets through the manufacturing process. But in Europe, we've focused on the oil and gas industry, on oil rigs, uh, on shipping, on a whole range of uh, ancillary uh, industries that are associated with the oil and gas industry. And we're now looking at the US market and saying, this is about time we address this one as well. And then there's the fourth region, which is everywhere else in the world. <laughs> okay, so three quarters of the world's population. And then everywhere else. Middle East, <laughs> North Africa, the South of Africa, ah, India, okay. yeah. Southeast yeah. Asia, Australia, New Zealand, all of these places we've popped into one region. Got it. So my guess from my CEO is that once we have America better down and we've got the full suite here, we'll then start focusing on building up some of the other regions as well. I hope that helps you there. Well, it does. Since Oil & Gas Global Network, we're in every single country on the planet. I just have to make sure that our listeners around the world are feeling the love. Everybody gets love. <laughs> John, thank you so much for joining us here. And can we put a, a, a link to a website, ifs.com? How do we get to a website? ifs.com is probably the easiest one to get right. to. We're going to do that. We're going to put that in the show notes. John, okay. thank you for joining us. Thank you very me. much. Yair Allen Griver, the CEO of Code, otherwise known as YAG. I love that. Why do you get such a cool nickname, YAG? Jeez. Yeah, you know, uh, before the internet days on CompuServe, I'd sign all my messages with and for years, people thought I was a tall. So, <laughs> just stuck. Just stuck. Just stuck. I love it. So CEO of Code, tell my audience, who is Code? What is Code? Okay. So we have a company that actually we just hit our 30th anniversary. Oh. On November 3rd. We, uh, the Code Group, which is made up of different divisions, consulting, training, a magazine, the last in-print developer-oriented magazine. Oh, my. With about a quarter million subscribers. And then uh, we just started something called Code Staffing in the last year. I'm actually the CEO of that. Of the staffing. Correct. Okay. So staffing is relatively new. Of these three, Consulting Training Magazine, which is the oldest? 
uh, actually consulting is oldest, then the magazine, then training. Okay, so what do you guys focus on? So, consulting for what? Training of what? A magazine about what? Correct. So, <laughs> uh, so the consulting is software development consulting. Okay. We do training for software developers. <laughs> okay. And Code Magazine is aimed at software developers. Okay. I think we got the picture. Yeah, and, and we're staffing software developers? We are staffing software developers <laughs> and IT people. Exactly. <laughs> wow. In the oil and gas business? In a lot of different businesses, okay. but oil and gas is definitely one of our main areas. So uh, what are you guys here representing primarily at the Operational Excellence Conference? What draws you to this event? Yeah, so uh, it's really the staffing side of things. Um, a couple of things. So we believe that the staffing industry is undergoing a major change. Oh, okay. And that... Uh, it behooves oil, com oil and gas companies, et cetera, to take advantage of it. So just like we've had issues in the past where when you're hiring someone, um, it's getting harder to find and keep people. You see a big emphasis on training your people, on giving them a career path, et cetera, inside the oil and gas industry. The people who've been left out of this are the contingent staffers. These are people that are typically hired as 1099 okay. through a staffing company. So if they don't work for two hours during the day for a doctor's appointment, they don't get paid. Right. They get no benefits, no vacation, no nothing. We do it differently. We actually hire our people as W-2. We give them 100% medical dental vision, including their families. Give them stock options. We give them... Uh, share of our profits, and we train our people a minimum of an hour, two hours every week, that they're always on the cutting edge. We then provide them as staff, as contingent staff to oil and gas companies for, with a set known uh, uh, profit percentage for ourselves, which is probably a third of what the typical staff and By doing that, we're profitable where people stay for years instead of an average of 8 to 16 months, which accrues well to our clients because now they have developers, business analysts, etc., who can stay there three, four, five years instead of having to train someone new every year or every year and a half. So it works out well for everybody. I think this is the wave of the future because we're living in a world, especially with dev, et cetera, where you're not just competing with other companies in Houston, say, yeah. but you're competing with a company in Paris, France that can hire someone to work remote. That's right. That's so, right. you know, having the ability to partner with a staffing company, especially one like ours, where we have the other parts which we can use to train our people, train our clients' people, et cetera, we become an integral partner with our clients. Fantastic. I'm actually quite intrigued. <laughs> well, thank you. Happy to talk about it for as long as you want, anytime. So you, your customers are not in the oil and, just in the oil and gas business, but across... Not just, correct. We also have uh, software. So it's, we really look for companies that um, tie into us really well culturally. So. Oh. 
That's important. You know, so the oil and gas company, one of the ones we're working with now, CIO basically said to us, you know, we keep getting awards as being a great company to work for, but we have this whole second layer of people who we don't control, they're yeah. contractors, and they don't get anything. Right. And, th and that's just stupid. Right. Which, there's right. no other way to put it, right? It's, it's no evil, it. it's wrong, it's whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, but... But in the software industry, some of these changes have been happening for a while. Like when I was at Microsoft in 2003, I think, Microsoft essentially told all of their contingent staffing and could only sign a contract with them if they provided the following minimum benefits. Maternity leave, health care at a certain percentage. So out of all the ones they had, about four or five came back and said, yes, we'll so, but Microsoft is big enough to force that. That's right. For themselves. So we believe that by creating a company that that's who we are. And then we do other things that are different. Like if one of our clients wants to hire one of our people, we don't charge them anything. Okay. Other companies charge 50% of their salary or, or in my mind, if we are not doing a good enough job of growing our people and making them happy. They think they'll be happier working with one of our customers than we did wrong. It shouldn't cost our customer anything. So I'm envisioning that listening to this show, there are going to be people on both sides of the table. There are people that are going to want to come to work for you, and there's people that are going to want to hire you. So. How do I put people in touch with code? Is there a website I can direct so, them to in yes. the show notes? They can go to codestaffing.com. Code as in C -O -D -E, a secret code. Correct. Code staffing.com. Okay. No dash or anything in there. Okay. They can also email me directly at yag at codestaffing.com. Okay. And I'm happy to give you my cell phone number if anyone wants to call me right, directly. No, that's quite all right. I could just see the, some prank phone calls or it's, pizzas it, it, being sent to your house, Yag. You know, I, I, <laughs> I so believe, like, every one of our employees and every one of our customers has my cell phone number. And I even have it up on our website. So if they go to our website, they've got They're gonna it. They're going to find right? it anyway. Because we, we truly believe it, it's part of who we are. If we are, if we are going to talk the talk of being this type of company. You know, I as the CEO, I better walk that walk. I love it. Yag, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Have a great day. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.